This is the last service. <laughs> uh, I'm only going to be here. Well, I won't be home in service on Sunday till the 16th. And I will not be in Thursday night service with you uh, till call to war. I am not running the roads because I have nothing else to do. In fact, the Lord has seen to it that I could not possibly sit back and cross my feet at the ankles and take a nap till call to war. Um, I leave for General Conference Thursday, preaching the weekend before, weekend after, come home and I go to Virginia, preach there. Uh, <laughs> the Thursday, Friday, and Saturday before call of war, I'm flying to Southern California back to preach for two days. Whatever. I just work here. So he can send me where he wants to, and that's his business. But the point I'm about to make is, this is the last time I will speak to you live <laughs> before the Sunday night that call of war starts. Uh, there are about 14,000 things that I could talk about tonight. When I start on my subject, <laughs> there will be some of you who will say, why is he doing that? We've heard all that before. <laughs> Hearing it and doing it. Not the same thing. I'll say that one more time. Hearing it and doing it are not the same thing. So, here we go. Praise God. I, I, I want to talk to you for a little bit before I get into any heavy teaching here. Um. As you know, I'm now 70 years old, and I have had the Holy Ghost 58 and a half years. As of this past June, I've been in the ministry 48 years. As of a couple of weeks ago, I've been in this city as a minister 46 years. I've seen a lot, experienced a lot, a lot of exciting times and a lot of Disappointing times. Uh, I was praying about some names just the other day. People that I love very much that they just chose a different direction. Such people of great potential. And there's never been a time that I have stopped praying, studying, trying to find out, okay, what is it that people need to be taught to be able to make it? What is it that people need to learn and understand to be able to not just survive, but to thrive? We have seen probably in excess of, oh man, 
7,500 plus people received the Holy Ghost in 46 years. That's probably a very conservative estimate, but trying to be as conservative as I can. Could easily be over 10,000 in 46 years. We've had some major, major times. You only have to average 250 a year to have 10,000 get the Holy Ghost in 40 years. And there's been very, very, very few times we've never had, we didn't have 250 get the Holy Ghost in an entire year. And uh, sometimes, but not very often. And so when you compensate all those years, we had a lot more. Uh, it's not really unreasonable to say 10,000, but I'm going to say 7,500. And uh, there are people all over this country, in this world, that were saved at Antioch. You're not aware of them. Uh, most of them, I am a lot of them. And uh, a lot of them have been mightily used of God and are still being mightily used of God. And I'm very thankful for that. Some uh, haven't made it. They've uh, gone a different direction. They've done other things with their lives. Uh, they have not given themselves to the Lord. And in trying to discern what is it that enables one person to be really stable and endure all the ups and downs of life and another one not. And the, the problem is there's all kind of good answers that may have some impact. But over these last... Over this last five years especially, six years, every year, every month, every day, I'm learning that there is one thing that no matter what comes and goes, those who truly learn how to do this one thing and are committed to it Make it, and those that don't, don't. Amen. And of course, if I ask you what, majority of you would probably come up with the obvious answer because the answer is very obvious. The problem is because the answer is obvious, then why aren't more people making it? Because the word covers a wide breadth of ideas about what it is and what it isn't, whereas the Bible defines it very narrowly. I'll say that one, one more time. Our ideas of this thing is very, very broad, but biblically it's very narrow. Broad is the way and wide is the gate that leads to destruction. Many go in there at, but narrow is the way. And straight, not S-T-R-A-I-G-H-T, but S-T-R-A-I-T. Restrictive, narrow, confining is the way. Not doc, I'm not preaching about doctrine. Doctrine is very important. Not preaching about holiness. Holiness is very important. Not preaching about coming to church. Coming to church is important. 
Not preaching about being faithful with your finances. The Bible says that's the least kind of faithfulness that you can exhibit. And if you can't be faithful in that which is least, God's not going to trust you with anything. That's not my words. That's Jesus' words. But it's not that. It's not worship. It's not obeying the preacher. Those are important. Not obeying the preacher, but obey the priest's word. What is it? Prayer. Even five years ago, if you'd asked me if I knew how to pray, I'd tell you, yeah. I'd have told you, yeah, I know how to pray. It was partially true. That which made up for my lacking was the prayer I was able to pray in tongues. Because what I prayed in English was way, way, way off from what the Scripture taught. From what Jesus taught. There's no reason. I mean, there's no, 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 it's no mystery why my spirit understood that I needed to pray in tongues as much as I could because the Bible's true. I didn't know how to pray in my language. I'll just give you a perfect example. Having, my mother was attending a Pentecostal church when I was born. So I've got 70 plus years in this. Let me tell you what. 99.99% of the people in Pentecost who faithfully pray, pray need-based prayers. If you got a need, and the more urgent that need is, the better prayer you are. That's great, except there's a slight problem. I don't have that kind of need every day. So how do I pray with the same urgency, the same fervency, when I don't have a need that's pressing on me? The answer is simple. I don't. And when things are going, the better things are going, the more difficult it is to pray because my prayer life is need-based. And if I don't have a pressing need, I have no basis for prayer. The problem is, which I have learned the hard way and find that it's hard to teach this because I was in Nova Scotia a couple of weeks in, weekends ago. Sweet people, just so sweet, so sincere. And I'm sitting there talking this stuff, and I could see it in my mind because I experienced the same thing. It was like the Lord was taking everything they knew and just wrapping it up in a little ball and tossing it in the wastebasket. And there was the feeling of, I've wasted all these years. I know the feeling. Been there, done that. Wasted all these years. But you have to work past that because God is on the throne and he is in his heavens and all, everything's okay. And the, the key point isn't 
what I'm doing today, it's what I do when I'm led to do something different. Do I resist the change? Or do I make the change as the Spirit leads and the Word of God teaches? I can only do what I know to do. I can't do what I don't know to do. Like I said, if you would have asked me five, ten years ago, especially ten years ago, do you know how to pray? I would have confidently said, yes, I know how to pray. And I could show you answers to prayers I got. But you know what? The problem is what's so difficult is when I begin to compare what I know and do with what the Bible actually says. There's where the problem comes in. Now, this church has been taught to pray in the Spirit. And you've learned to do that very well. And that has compensated for us individually, those that would do that, and us collectively, that's compensated for a lot of what we didn't know how to do otherwise. But Paul said, I will pray with the Spirit and pray with the understanding also. We're like one of those guys... My very first trip to Africa, Blantyre, Malawi, 1984. There was a man in the services. Let me tell you something right now. From the waist up, I promise you there's not a male alive that would not have envied that man's build. I mean, there wasn't a muscle on his body from the waist up that did not stand out in stark relief. He had shoulders that seemed like they were three feet wide. He had arms. It was an amazing thing to see. Slight problem. He was born with deformed legs that never developed. His legs looked like they belonged to a four-year-old, a five-year-old. It's one of the saddest things I've ever seen in my life. You know why his arms and chests and shoulders look like that? Because his arms were his legs. The legs were just useless appendages. On the end of his, his, his legs. That's kind of what we are a little bit. When it comes to the Spirit, praying in the Spirit, we're Charles Atlas, and that dates me a whole lot, right? When it comes to praying in English, like most Pentecostals, we're 98 pounds weaklings. Because our prayer is need-based, and if we don't have a need, we don't know how to pray. And that's all we know. And I taught what I knew, practiced what I knew. But then I began to really study the Word as the Lord directed me to do, and I found out that's not what prayer is and not how God told us to pray. Well, He said we could ask. I'm glad you brought that up. Old Testament prayer was asking-based. The Old Testament, you wanted something, needed something, you ask. Go to 
the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and see how many times the Scripture says ask. But then go to Romans through Revelation and see how many Scriptures you can find that talk about prayer and use the word ask. They essentially don't exist. There's just a handful of them. Scores of them in the Gospels. Scores of verses in the Old Testament. But in the epistles, which are the instructions to the church, there's almost none. Why? Why? What's the difference? Why would the Old Testament be full of verses saying to ask in prayer? Why would the Gospels be full of verses saying ask in prayer? And there be virtually none in Romans through Revelation. Why? Because on the day of Pentecost, not only did we receive the Spirit dwelling in us rather than just having the opportunity to go to the temple and fellowship with the Spirit. But our whole communication with and relationship with God was supposed to have changed. It's like, (laughs) it's like so many places in, in the fellowship that we're a part of define success by having good church. Boy, we had good church tonight. What they mean is people danced, people shouted. People clapped their hands. People raised their hands. There was demonstration. Good church. Good Old Testament church. Because almost all of our teaching on those things is in the book of Psalms and the Old Testament. And you don't even have to have the Holy Ghost to worship like that. Should we stop that? No. But if we're in the New Testament, if this is the church, shouldn't there be something else that defines us that only can happen because we have the Holy Ghost dwelling in us? Shouldn't there be? And, boy, we're trying to build a church. Whew. Trying to build up Antioch, got all these daughter works and preaching points. We're trying to build. Slight problem. There's only one church builder. Never called us to build a church. So while we're trying to do his job, we don't do our job. What's our job? Preach the gospel to every creature. Question. Can you preach the gospel to every creature from a pulpit in a building? then why is that essentially all we do? Because it's our tradition. And we wonder why God isn't doing more because that's all we do. Should we come together? The Bible says forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Should we listen to the man of God teach and preach to us? Oh yeah. But what we're called to do 
preach the gospel to every creature. You can't do that in a building. Why do we do it inside a building? Because we can act however the Spirit leads us to act. And it's safe with us hidden inside these walls. Oh, yeah. We don't have to worry about our friends and our co-workers and our relatives seeing us act like this, see. So we get to avoid persecution because it's safe in here. Because we live one way in here, live another way out there. Well, I'm not talking about being worldly. We just stuff it all down, hide it all in, lock it all up. I'm not trying to condemn. I'm just trying to challenge a little bit here. How many people on your job know you're a Christian? How many people you go to school with know you're a Christian? No, really, really, really. If what I'm saying is not true, then, then you should be able to say, well, everybody knows I'm a Christian. I would venture to say that's probably not true in more than about 2 or 3% of the people in this building. Why? Because we've got a nice, safe place to be a Christian. And out there we lay low. We keep our mouth shut. I'm not talking about getting in people's face and be some loud mouth, but hey, I learned this lesson really, really, really young. In fact, I hadn't actually received the Holy Ghost yet. I was probably in the fourth grade. And there were a couple of guys in the in my class. They were pretty cool, see, and so... I, somehow they let me be a part of their group, and I, I never did figure that out. But I, there was three of them, and the four of us would sit at lunch table every, every day of the every school day. And I was uncomfortable. But they would tell stories that back then, looking back now, it's amazing that they knew anything. No, fourth graders today, they can tell you the whole deal. And no mystery anymore. Then, it was pretty mysterious, right? But, boy, they told some stuff. And every once in a while, they'd slip out with some profanity. And then one day, somebody said something, and without intending to, they confronted me. And they said a word, and we, they, everybody was kind of repeating stuff. And they looked at me and said, uh, it was my turn. I didn't repeat it. They said, Chester, how come you're not re- saying it? I don't talk like that. And then they said to me, oh, yes, you do. We've heard you. Oh, wait a minute. I'd never talked like that in my life. I had a sailor for a dad who when I was five years old said, I don't care how I talk or what I do. And I don't care if you get married and you get a lot bigger than me. And both of those things happen. If I ever hear you talk like this, I will take my belt to you. I believed him. I know good and well I had never talked like that. But I was guilty by association. I didn't have to get in their face and say stuff. 
I just needed to take a stand as politely and as kindly as possible when that stuff was going on. If I would have done that, I wouldn't have been falsely accused. They never did believe I didn't talk like that. Because I'd been sitting there with them for weeks. And that stuff had been going on. And, 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 and this is the problem. Dear ones, this is the problem. The problem is we come to church faithfully. This is Thursday night. I got a lot of friends that would be thrilled to death if they could have this kind of crowd on Sunday nights because they stopped having Sunday night service because they couldn't get anybody to show up on Sunday. They only have one service a week on Sunday. This is Thursday night. What did that guy do? The old sinner's over in the corner going, Oh, God, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. And the Pharisee was going, You're pretty lucky to have me, God. I fast twice in a week. I pay tithes of all I possess. And I, I do everything I'm supposed to do. You, you're pretty... You're pretty fortunate that I'm a part of this I'm headed someplace hang on the point I'm making to you is this when I didn't know how to pray and my prayer was need based the only way I could pray very long was pray mostly in tongues and that's awesome and it's wonderful and I've Thrilled and thankful the Lord allowed me to learn to do that many, many, many years ago. But I'm here to tell you something right now. There were a lot of days I couldn't hardly pray because the flow of tongues just wasn't there. And I knew I was supposed to be praying in English and I didn't have, I didn't have a clue what to pray. Lord, forgive, How about this one? Lord, forgive me of my sins, but I can't think of anything I did. Don't tell me you've never th had that go through your mind. Because you see, for us, it's all about what we do. We come to church and it's all about what we don't do. I'm a moral person. I don't need to repent of sin. Except that Jesus, well, Jesus did say it through one of the apostles. I think it was James. He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. Well, what's good? Is it good to... Pray? Is it good to talk to the lost? Etc., etc. Is that good? So here we are. All those years that if you'd asked me, do you know how to pray? I'd say yes. But I would run out of stuff to say long before I ran out of time to say it. But this last year, I never have enough time. There's always more to say, more to pray, than there is time to do it. Now, I cannot possibly do anything but skim some things here right now that I have taught in detail. If you haven't listened to any of the Briefing, starting with briefing number five. Detailed. It's the most detailed I've ever been 
in any teaching on prayer. In fact, Brother Adam Breckridge and I have talked after Call to War is over with, we're going to go back and edit out the Call to War specific stuff and turn that into a series on how to pray. I have needs. Yes, you do. Can I pray about those needs? You sure can. Here's the biblically acceptable method for praying for your needs. I cast all my cares upon you, Lord, for you care for me. Why can't I pray different than that? Because he said, I know what you need before you ask it. So therefore, if I'm praying need-based prayers, need-based prayers are prayers of unbelief. It's not possible to pay, pray a need-based prayer in faith because he's already said, I'm your father, you're my children, I know what you need. I want you to trust me with what you need and for you to participate with what I need. Oh, man, it is so difficult when the good people of God come to church wore out. Well, you don't know what my day's been like. Well, I can guess. Let's see. Matthew 11, verse 28. I have not come unto him, and I've carried my heavy I've labored and carried my heavy load. Therefore, I do not have rest. Next verse. I'm in the yoke by myself because I need to fix this the way I want it fixed. So I don't really know much about him. I think he's hard. I think he's unfair and unkind. So I'm handling all of my problems myself. So therefore, I have no rest for my soul. Next verse. For his yoke is hard, and his burden is very heavy, and his expectations are very unrealistic. Now, Brother Wright, you're, you're being unkind. Well, you can interpret it any way you want, but what I just preached was truth because if that's not the way we do it then how can we be exhausted all the time come unto me come to church but if you come to church without coming to Jesus if you come to church and you haven't come to Jesus today whoo Ain't much going to happen in church to help you. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke. In other words, I have no intent of your making your life free of labor. I just want you to change the labor you're involved in. Take my yoke. Get involved with my labor with me. And in this close association 
as we are fellow laborers together in my will, in my kingdom, you're going to learn about me that I'm gentle and patient and humble and kind. And your soul's going to find rest because of what you, what you have learned as you have been involved with me. And then the next verse says, For my yoke fits well. It doesn't bind. It's not uncomfortable. And my burden is light. Oh, dear ones. You got to get this. As long as you carry your burdens, you will never truly experience his. When you begin to learn to cast your cares, to give your burdens on him, then you can fellowship with him as he shares his burdens with you. But he will not give you nor expect you to carry his burdens while you carry yours. But yours will wear you out. His burdens, if you're in his yoke and now he's trusting you with his burdens, you'll find rest, refreshing for your soul. Oh, it's so hard to live for God. Yep, it is. When you're doing it the traditional way. It's hard. It's difficult. Everything's a trial. All the expectations that are preached are these heavy, unreasonable loads if you're carrying them all yourself. <laughs> There's not a day goes by now that I don't pray for scores of preachers that have submitted to the authority of the office I've been entrusted with. Not my office, not my authority. Just a vessel. Not a day goes by that I don't pray for scores of them and and actually, the way I really pray is because the Lord is directing me to pray this way. Father, I speak this word of authority as a covering over every minister and his family that is knowingly or unknowingly submitted to this authority. Well, how can that be the case? Because every, every man of God out there that's knowingly or unknowingly submitted to this authority, everybody that's submitted to them is up the chain of command is submitted to this authority. So when I'm praying, I'm not praying just for these top guys. I'm praying for everyone. Because then the next thing I pray is, I pray a, 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 this word of authority is a covering over every preacher, over ch every church and ministry that these men of God are, are uh, responsible to you for. And I pray for every saint and their family. I pray a covering of authority over every, every saint of God and their family that's a part of those ministries and those churches. And then it goes from there. Oh, that's just when, when I'm doing my particular job. But when I began to pray kingdom prayer, specifically that side of kingdom prayer, that it, where I'm praying is a part of his body. Guess who I'm praying for? 
if Christ is the only visible representation of the invisible God, and he's sitting on the throne of heaven ruling over the universe, and he's the head of this body, and I'm a, I'm a part of the body he's the head of, And he is far above all principality, power, might, dominion, every name of his name. If I am praying as bishop, that's one thing. But if I'm praying as a part of his body that's in communication with the head, praying the stuff the head says pray, who am I praying for? The world. The whole thing. You, me, and everybody else that's got the revelation. Brother Wright, I can't hardly handle my problems every day. You're telling me I need to be praying for the whole world? That's my point. I can't pray for the world if I'm carrying my problems. But if I'm given my problems, I can be a conduit. For prayers, praying for the world. Oh, wait a minute. New Testament prayer is not asking. New Testament prayer is speaking. Now, I've already got like six hours of teaching on this subject online, so... I can't dot every I and cross every T here. But I'm telling you what. <laughs> I'm telling you. If there was time to really dot the I's across the T's, it wouldn't leave you any wiggle room whatsoever. Since the Lord won't let me do that, I guess you're supposed to have some wiggle room. While you and him work this out. And God said. I asked that there be light. And hopefully there will be light. And I asked for the waters above and below. To, to be separated. And I hope they do. And I asked for there to be a sun and a moon. And I hope they show up. Anybody here believe that's what he did? No, he said, let there be. And there was. Let there be. And there was. What does that have to do with us? <laughs> Everything. Because you see, God made man in his own image. And then he gave man authority over the earth. And he told man to subdue the earth and rule everything that moved on the earth. But man didn't do that, you see. Because serpents move and this one wasn't submitted. It wasn't subdued. And man's the one that failed because he didn't do what God designed him to do. And so therefore the serpent... Won the battle in the garden that the serpent, that the man didn't even know was being fought. Oh, if we could get that revelation, it'd be awesome. 
that the devil doesn't announce this is a war between you and me. It's just a discussion that if I win, you lose the war. Just a discussion. It's just a talk. But he knew it was a war. And he knew if he talked me into what he thought, I lose the war. How do I know that? Because Luke chapter 4, and I think it's verse 8, but we'll try 6 just in case. Listen to what the, the devil said unto him. He took him up the high mountain, showed him all the kings of the world, all this power, the Greek word there is there's authority, not, not dunamis, it's exousia authority. Will I give thee and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me. And to whomsoever I will, I give it. Look up the word delivered. You know what it means? It means surrendered. The authority wasn't given to Satan as a gift. He obtained it in a battle. And the defeated foe surrendered the authority to him. And who was the defeated foe? Man and woman. But the problem is, the battle was lost before they even knew it was a battle. Because the serpent is more subtle than any beast of the field. And because he doesn't announce himself to you, he just shows up with a thought. And he gets you thinking thoughts that aren't biblical. And, then, and they make sense. And so you're involved in the discussion that you're going to lose the discussion. And when you lose the discussion, you're going to lose some precious things. Your authority, your wife, your kids, your garden. All because you didn't exercise your authority. Woe be to the parents that are trying to be their kids' best friends. I didn't want to be my son's best friend, so I want to be my, be my son's hero. There's a difference. And so therefore I exercised my authority. And sometimes it didn't seem very fair. But hear me right now. That's what a father does. And fathers that don't exercise authority have abdicated being a father. I'm not talking about being mean or harsh. You know what? Men and women are different. I know you didn't know that, but they are. And the Lord in His goodness and kindness makes up all kind of leeway so that a woman can be a woman because that's what He designed her to be. But when you give somebody the power to reproduce life, that is the most powerful thing a human being can have. And so therefore, since it's so powerful, the only way she can be saved is for that power to be submitted to authority. Because if she has no authority and she has the power to, to produce life, there is no telling what the end result of that life is going to be that's produced without being produced under the covering of authority. 
Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Right. The woman's got far more power than the man. She carries every human being that propagates the human race. That power is second only to God. God gives life. The man's part's so small that it's virtually almost irrelevant. Except that his part is to provide the covering for her, to protect her. The church is the bride of Christ. And Galatians 4 says that the church is the mother of us all. And God gave the church the power to produce life. And the only way the church can be saved is that the church is submitted to the authority of her husband. That doesn't make her inferior to the husband. It makes her equal to him rather than superior to him. Because without her being submitted to him, let's face facts. 99% of the men I know, they have a hard time making it without a wife. Most wives I know, most women I know, if they have to, they can, they can survive just fine without a man. You laugh because you know it's true. In fact, there's always some dear sisters around who think they'd be better off if they didn't have one. Why? Well, bad enough having to raise my children, but raise my husband too? Oh, that's why the Bible says... That the woman is com- the man is commanded to love the woman, and the woman is commanded to respect the man. Well, he's got to earn it, not according to Jesus. You know why? <laughs> Listen to this now. You know why? Because it doesn't matter what a man does, he can't earn his wife's respect. Oh, that's not true. Yes, he can. No, 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 no. You understand how fragile that respect is. You can kill yourself earning that respect and one wrong word and it's gone in a heartbeat. Boom. Gone. Kaput. Finished. Over. That's not almost right. That is right. Now, the man has to learn the woman unconditionally because it's in him to try to earn her love. He doesn't need her love. Now, don't don't argue with me, brethren. This is what Paul said. Argue with him. He doesn't need her love. He needs her respect. She doesn't need his respect. She needs his love. Men understand respect. Three men don't know each other can walk into a room. In a matter of seconds, they got the pecking order already figured out. 
Now who they know who the top dog is, they know who the bottom dog is. That leaves the fella in the middle. You say that's terrible. It's true. It is true. It's not it's not rejection. It's not some ego deal. It's we understand respect. We don't understand love. So we're commanded to give what we don't understand because the only way we can give it is God do it through us. Women understand love. They got that down. I mean, it is a horrible, horrible anomaly of life when a woman doesn't love. Can a woman forget her sucking child? No. If she forgets you, I haven't forgotten you, the Lord said. I've got you graven in the palm of my hand. He used the comparison. He compared his love to a woman holding her infant baby and said, as far as difficult as it is to imagine that a woman with holding her baby, she's just spent nine months of her life giving life to this baby and she's nursing this child. For that woman to forget that baby and not love it is almost unfathomable. And he said, but she will forget that baby before I'll stop loving you. See, women understand that stuff. Men don't. So he doesn't command you to love your husband. He commands you to respect him. Well, when he earns it, he's not, no, 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 you don't get it. If he has to earn your respect, you've got to earn his love. And because men are performance-based, because all of, all of our culture puts a man on the block to, to perform in everything. If you're going to earn your love through performance, trust me, you ain't never going to measure up. He's never going to measure up for you to respect him, earn his, him to re- earn your respect, and you're never going to measure up to earn his love. So we, we give, men give love as a, obedience to a command. Woman gives respect. What does that mean? This all comes back to the church and Christ. The Lord said, all this is true, but I show you a great mystery. All this is about Christ and the church. So my my point to you is this. If all of this relationship between Christ and the church is what it is, does that not affect how we pray? Let me tell you something. You disrespect my wife. You disrespect me. Oh, no, brother, I respect you, but I got a problem with her. Well... You can't have a problem with her without having a problem with me. That's just the way it is, you see. Bottom line is, I might agree with you. But it's not your place to say it. Because biblically, you correct a child. You lead a wife. And since I'm not correcting my wife, I'm leading my wife, you don't have the right to correct my wife. Oh, glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. No, I'm talking about prayer. And if you're just keeping it in the natural, you're missing the point. 
See? So Jesus said, when you pray, don't pray like the, like the heathen who think by their much speaking, they're going to, I'll, I'll hear them. In other words, don't treat me like a stone idol and prattle on, just repeating stuff over and over again and call that prayer. When your heart's not in it, you don't mean any of it, and it doesn't cost you anything, and you got no faith. Now, you may be married to a lady who loves the sound of her voice. You got your trial. I married one that getting words out of her is like it'd be easier to pull her wisdom teeth, which are gone, than to get words out of her most of the time. And trust me, I've been married 48 years, the 1st of November, and I promise you this right now. I'm not any closer to reading her facial expressions except when she wants me to. And it's not the words, it's the look. I'd rather be beat with a whip than get the look. The look. I, 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 I'm preaching about Christ in the church, but I need to bring her that verse that says about prayer, bring with you words. We're trying to have a relationship here in prayer's communication, so where's your words? Now, The Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the King James says word of God. But the Greek says rhema of God. What is rhema? Rhema is logos, the forever settled word, quickened by the Spirit to my heart. And when I hear quickened logos called rhema, and I believe that, which I hear, and I'm willing to speak what I hear, that is faith. Well, you said I, I can't ask. Oh, you can ask, all right. But this is what New Testament asking is about. In New Testament asking, what is God's response to New Testament asking? He gives you a rhema. No, 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 I don't want a rhema. I want what I'm asking for. No, you don't understand. In the New Testament, for God to give you what you're asking for, you pray, you ask according to his will. He gives you rhema. Now, you've got to be involved by speaking the rhema you were given. Otherwise, the only thing that's going to happen is you're going to be hoarse from all you're talking. Because that's the way New Testament prayer works. Have you ever asked for something, and deep down inside you never felt any kind of response coming back from God? I talked about this the other day. Paul 
Asked three times. He finally got something back. The rhema was, my grace is sufficient because my strength is made perfect in weakness. He got his answer. He got a rhema. And because of the rhema, which gave him faith, because he confessed the rhema, he was able to not only go through life with all of those thorns in his flesh, but he became very thankful for them because he realized his loving Heavenly Father had allowed them to come his way to keep him saved with all that God was saying to him and doing through him. But he didn't quit asking till he got an arama. Well, if I ask, God's going to give it to me. No. You ask, and if God's going to give it to you, he'll give you a rhema in response to you asking. Until you get a rhema, you can't go start claiming what you've been praying for. Not going to happen. How about 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 13 on the screen, please? We having the same spirit of faith... According as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. What does that mean? In the New Testament, relationship with God, you get nothing in response to prayer but a rhema to speak and if God gives you a rhema and it, you don't speak it and continue to speak it till that comes to pass then you forfeited what he told you he was going to do that's why he taught us to pray like he did that's why if I want to see my family saved, I want to see my world turned upside down for the name of Jesus. There's stuff he's told me I need to pray, uh, say, speak every day. You see, everything God has ever done, he's done by speaking. All authority in heaven and earth, Jesus said, is given unto me. There's only one way to exercise authority. And that's speaking a word of authority. Brother Bill, you've been in the military a long time. Your commanding officer wants you to do something. Does he come in and hit you upside the head with a stick? No. Does he twist your arm behind your back, throw your shoulder out of joint and say, you're going to do this? No. What does he do? He just speaks. And you obey. Now I realize that those of us that have been in some kind of authoritarian situation in our lives. Some kind of structure where there was authority. I realize we've got an advantage over most of you, rest of you Americans. Who's not willing for anybody to tell you what to do. Because if you've ever been in a in a authoritarian situation you understand 
that what you hear, you do. And if you're hearing something that you're supposed to tell somebody that you have responsibility for to do it, you hear from your commanding officer and you speak to your co-worker that is accountable to you. You don't use force, you use authority. Now, some dear sweet folks who are trying to be good parents, they don't, they don't speak words of authority. They threat. They threaten. You better stop that or I'm going to do this. And you never do it. So therefore, you teach your child not to listen to a word you say because you prove to the child very easily that you don't mean what you say, you don't say what you mean, and you don't mean what you say. And so we raise children that have never been taught that a person in authority means what they say and they say what they mean. And so then they come to God and they don't believe any of that. And so they have a hard time being a faithful child of God because they don't believe in that. They don't believe how that works. And so we've got an educational system now that doesn't want to hurt poor little Johnny's feelings. And so we're never going to tell him he's not doing well. And we're never going to give him a grade. We're just going to pat him on the back and say, that's nice. And then little Johnny graduates from school and he go gets a job. And then there's a big, mean, old, bad boss that's going to tell him what to do. And he's not going to get a check if he doesn't do what he's told. But little Johnny's never had to do that. I want you to pay me because I show up and surf the net all day. Because I never had to do anything else like that in my life. Nobody ever told me what to do. I didn't have to listen to anybody. When my boys were playing basketball, first thing most people didn't understand. I never really played basketball. didn't have the opportunity. Well, at our Christian school, that's really all we could have a team for because all we could afford couldn't afford baseball and football it's too expensive so we had a basketball team both my boys played basketball they both played basketball by their choice I remember the conversation I had with my youngest when he, it was time for him to start his sophomore year now he's going to play varsity And I said to him, son, let's settle something right now. You're not playing basketball for me. I don't care if you ever play again. I love you just like you are. You don't have to earn my love. You don't have to do anything to impress me. I love you. So don't play basketball for me. It's got to be your choice. Oh, but son. If you choose to play basketball, then as your father, I am not going to let you not do your best. And there's folks sitting here that will remember what I, what I was like when my boys played basketball. You could hear me. I did not need a basket. Uh, 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 he is so unfair. Listen to the way he's talking to them. Oh, no, I'm only talking to them like a father because they made a choice and now it's my responsibility 
to help them understand the responsibility to their teammates and to themselves to do the best they can. And if they were tired of me doing that, they could quit. It'd be easy. Then they wouldn't, then they wouldn't have to hear me and it'd be fine with me and I'm not going to try to talk them into doing that. I, rem- I remember those conversations I had with my dad plebe year. I don't know how many phone calls it was. I'm out of here. You know those, you know those t- calls? I'm out of here. I'm leaving here. This is ridiculous. I don't want to put up with this another day. And he'd always do this. Son, I understand. I, I don't have any problem understanding what the problem is. You're right. It's ridiculous to have to put up with all that stuff. And there'd be a pause. He'd say, just try it one more day. Just try it one more day, and if you still don't like it, I'll come get you. I never made that second phone call. He didn't force me to stay. He didn't shame me into staying. He agreed with me because it, most of it is ridiculous, especially that first year. He left the choice to me, but helped me to understand the need to really make the choice. Now, what do you think our Father should expect of us if He's going to trust us with His authority and His ability to use that authority by speaking His words of authority? You see, I I look at faces and some of you have preached to a long time and and unfortunately I, it, I like to make eye contact but it's really better sometimes if I don't because I see the doubt or frustration or just forget that in your eyes so I, okay now if I keep looking I'm going to react to that so I better stop looking so I can just not react to that <laughs> So I look away, and if you know me, it's, it's, not because, it's not because I'm afraid to keep staring. Just trying to give you some room. Just a little room. I've been told that my look can be a little bit intimidating, and so I don't want to intimidate anybody into doing the will of God. So I look away. I'm making a point. Somebody listening? I'm talking about prayer here. The problem is, we spend all of our lives praying, asking need-based prayers. And the problem is, the reason I'm getting these negative looks is because our, our praying the way we thought we were supposed to pray and the fact most of the time it doesn't work has undermined our confidence. And you're saying now, preacher, that if I will begin to speak what God gives me to say, I'm going to start seeing stuff happen? Oh, absolutely. But here's the deal, see. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Thou art Peter upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Unto thee I give the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And the translations, both the Amplified and we 
say this very directly. Others come closer. But the grammatical, the, gra- the grammatical uh, parts of speech and tenses of the verbs and everything in the Greek is literally this. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall have already been bound in heaven. Whatsoever you loose on earth shall have already been loosed in heaven. So I'm told I'm supposed to pray, Father, you're in heaven. I'm your body here on earth. He's the head. I'm the body. You know, the body can't do anything without the head, right? What kind of work does the head do? Work. What kind of work does the work does the head do? Nothing. My head's not transporting my body from over there to over here. My head's talking to my body. My body's listening, doing what the head says. My head's not holding this microphone. My head is talking to my hand and telling me, to hold my microphone. No, but my hand listens, see? And our head is where? Our head's in heaven. That's all right. You're right. You're, it's on our shoulders. But spiritually, our head's in heaven. And our head in heaven talks to us, his body, and the work that he's going to do in the earth, he does because his body listens to him and either speaks what he says or does what he say, says to do. That's what the body is supposed to do. That proves that the head doesn't have a quadriplegic body that's paralyzed and won't listen. So here we are. Here we are. And we wonder why he tells us to pray stuff like, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it's a long, long proof. But if you want to stay, I'll give it to you. The tenses of the verbs in that prayer prove conclusively that we're not to ask anything in praying that prayer. We are to speak what we've been told to say. Now, in praying that prayer, there's some days I don't pray very elaborate with it. Is that because that's the flow I've got? Other days, I won't even tell you how many hours it's taken to pray everything that was flowing in those four first four things. Because the Greek is very literal. Here's what the Greek literally says. Sanctified be thy name. That's a command. Come thy kingdom. Be done thy will as it's already purposed in heaven. In the earth. In other words. He has commanded us. To speak words of authority in prayer. We're not asking anything. We are conduits for the head to speak into the earth 
what he wants to say. Let me tell you how good God is. God's so good. You're here. I'm here. Look at what all he's done when we didn't have a clue how to pray. I'm serious. Look at what all he's done when we don't have a clue how to pray. Can you imagine what he's going to do through the body when the body begins to obey him and pray like he is commanded? Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Yeah, wasted a lot of time asking, didn't you? All God's fault too, isn't it? Uh-huh. You see, we don't know how to believe a promise. Oh, I believe. Really? Let me tell you what you do if you believe. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. I believe. Therefore have I spoken. Well, how many times do I need to speak it? You ask and keep on asking till you get a rhema. Then you never ask again. Then you just keep speaking it. Because Ephesians 6 says... That is the sword of the Spirit. He didn't say the pistol of a Spirit. Pull the trigger, it's all over with. No. The sword of the Spirit is used to thrust and block and parry. And... In other words, Paul said to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, according to the Promises that went before on you. Oh, there it is, prophecies. According to the prophecies, it, prophecy is a promise. Both of them are the same thing. Which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. So how, what do I do with a promise? I war with it. Because let me tell you what happens. If I don't take that rhema and use it like God intended the devil will take that rhema and beat my brains out with it. Hello? And what was meant to produce faith, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the rhema of God. If I don't take that rhema and use it biblically, then that rhema is turned on me and I die by my own sword. Well, some revelation happened in the house right now, isn't there? Yeah. Really? What's, what's the big deal? Why do I have to do that? <laughs> I'm so happy you ask. Thank you. So the devil got his authority in a battle that man didn't even know he was fighting. God gave him dominion and told him to use that dominion and subdue the earth. 
We got sin because the first man, Adam, failed to do his job. He neither subdued the serpent, neither was he the covering for his wife. So he left his wife uncovered, no authority exercised there, and he, he, did, he left the serpent to, to be at his subtle best. You can't blame the woman. You can't blame the serpent. you got to blame the guy that had the authority that didn't obey God's command. So man lost authority in the battle that didn't even, he didn't even realize was a battle. When the Bible says fight the good fight of faith, that doesn't mean you're bleeding every moment. It means you keep using the rhema. Where are you guys at? Where's Lawrence? See up there? See not here. Guys, I preached in Baltimore a couple of months ago. And I spoke to some people. Spoke to some guys. What did they think that was? Was that just a preacher trying to hype somebody up? Was there a word that went forth? A rhema. question is, what have they done with that rhema? Have they gone use the rhema? Reports don't look like they've used the rhema yet. Well, God said he's going to do this, so I'm going to sit back and wait till he does it. Yeah, I'm going to sit back and wait till God does it. He said he's going to do it. I'm going to sit back and wait till he does it. And I'm going to sit here and judge how he's doing. Oh, glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Y'all act like it's 10 o'clock. So, you ever read what 1 Corinthians 15 says? The first man was of the earth earthy. The second man, Adam, was the Lord from heaven. If God gave the first man dominion over the earth, told him subdue the earth, does the second Adam have less? Except this is the deal. God gave the first man natural dominion over the earth. But we can't get back to natural dominion Till we first start taking spiritual dominion. And between now and the rapture, we've got to be taking spiritual dominion. Not over governments. Not over religions. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Well, guess what? <laughs> Music good? What is it? Is it amplifier? Oh, that works. It works good, doesn't it? It helps you. Yeah. I use that on the airplane. It works. Yeah. Yeah, I understand. Good. Yeah, it's good. Maybe some other folks will wear something to cancel out all the noise they're listening to. 
Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So, who is the second man, Adam, today? The second Adam day is partway there because the head of the second man, Adam, is already in heaven. I'm looking at some of the feet of the second man, Adam. I'm looking at some of the hands of the second man, Adam. I'm just wondering if the second Adam is ever going to use the authority that's ours. Oh, I've preached from it before. Let's go there quickly, please. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning with verse 16. Let's try that, I think. I'm going to read first. No, 17. I don't have time. Wish I did. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation of the knowledge of him. Verse 18. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance of the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only I'm going to change that around because of the way we believe it. Not only in the world to come, but right now. Not only in the world to come, but right now. You say we changed the word. I had to because of the way we look at it. Because we think all of this is not going to happen until we get to heaven. And it's supposed to happen right now. Because the second man Adam was given the same authority, dominion. And told to subdue. But we're not going to subdue humans. We're going to subdue principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and wicked spirits in the heavenlies. Well, I don't want to stir the devil up. Well, the only people that are protected by God are those that are stirred up themselves to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And he promised to those that were using his authority and were stirred up to uses authority in treading on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, that nothing shall by any means hurt you. The people that get hurt are the ones that are doing nothing. Hmm. I learned something from my dad as a kid. He would do me this way, and I didn't, I didn't understand it until I went to work with him. A young man, I began to hear him do it. He would say to the men that were under him in the Navy, when you get a chance, if you could, would you? And I wondered why guys would jump to and do it right then. It sounded like he was saying, it's okay. You don't have to rush to do this. But they understood he was doing that, just showing them respect. Rather than saying, do this and do this this way and do it right now, he didn't do that. He said, when you could, when you can, I'd appreciate it if you would. Brother Shelton calls it bishop speak. You've got to learn how to 
interpret bishop speak. He's got all kind of stories about how he has interpreted bishop speak. Well, I try to treat people the way I want to be treated. I don't I prefer to never give an order. Except in the spirit when I'm speaking Rhema. And I'm not ordering God. I'm ordering the spirit world. I'm almost done, believe it or not. Because you can't finish this subject, so I'm going to quit here in a moment. Second man, Adam. Our head's already in heaven, ruling over the universe. We are his body on the earth. The head in heaven cannot do anything on earth except through his body. That's the way a body works, head, body. That's how it works. He has all authority in heaven and earth. He is far above all principality, power, might, dominion, ever named in his name. And the next verse says, Aha, uh-huh, gotcha. And the next verse says, And hath put all things under his feet, and gave him be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullest of him that filleth all in all. So I'm not ordering God to do anything. I am, I am connected as the body to the head. I'm letting the head tell me what to say as the body into the earth. Because the second man, Adam, wants to reestablish spiritual dominion in the earth. But since man's the one that blew it and gave it up, he's going to use man to take it back. And you can play church if you want. You can come to church and enjoy the good music and good preaching and go home and feeling wonderful. Oh, wasn't that a wonderful service? I feel so uplifted. You can do that if you want. But you're never ever going to reach the potential in God as the body of Christ like that. You're never going to, it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen, folks. I taught some things in the briefings over the last, uh, well, the last two that's already been shown, and the next two that's about to be. Uh, broadcast this Saturday and next Saturday. Things I never understood before. Things that God showed me. Some of those things you will have already heard tonight. The point is. Somehow. To go where God has taken Antioch. We have got to get this. It is not enough for the bishop to pray like this. It's not enough for the pastors to pray like this. We're all a part of the body. We're all members of the body. The whole body needs to be participating with Jesus Christ in the earth with him as the head doing what he's instructed us to do. Now, I'm going to tell you something right now. If you think the devil's not going to try to make you feel stupid saying some of the stuff we, we're told to say, you don't know anything about the devil. But if he's trying to get me to stop doing it, there's a reason. Because if I was wasting my time, do you think he'd want me to stop? 
Dear ones, dear, dear ones. It will become very obvious very shortly. Those who have learned to pray New Testament prayer, kingdom prayer, and those that are still trying to pray the old way, the ineffective way. Has your back been hurting you? Have a, stand up, Pastor. Now, we all know that the pastor of the Mother Church here has been going through some serious physical problems, and the medication was only to alleviate some of the symptoms. The doctor told him straight up front that medicine wouldn't take it away. It'd either go away or it wouldn't go away, and if it went away, he couldn't promise it would never come back. Is all accurate? Is that, I understand that correctly? Okay. So I have not had the liberty to pray for him because you don't pray stuff off of you that God's not done yet. You don't pray stuff off of you that God's not done with it yet doing in you what he wants to do. <laughs> Hang on right there. You don't pray stuff off of you that God is allowed to come your way until it's finished doing in you what God intended for it to do. That's Paul. Take these thorns in the flesh. No, no, no. But I'll give you this. I'll give you grace to go through it. Now, I'm sure the Pastors appreciated prayers. Oh, Jesus, heal Pastor Wright. Jesus, I ask you to heal Pastor Wright. Touch him and comfort him and help him, Lord Jesus. I, I ask you to help him. And that's worked so well, he's still sick. ha. <laughs> Now, this works. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I take dominion and authority over the spirit of infirmity, the spirit of affliction that's been warring against this body. I thank you for the grace you've given him to go through this. But now, Father, you're ready for him to have full strength to be able to pray and fight and do your will. I take dominion and authority over this spirit of infirmity and affliction. I curse you at your roots. I command you to loose this body. Set him free. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I command you to set him free. Loose him in Jesus' name. <laughs> in the name of Jesus, every symptom, every pain, every weakness, I command you to loose this body now. I loose strength. I loose rest and refreshing in this mind, in this heart, in this body, in this soul, in this spirit. Rise up, Holy Ghost. Rise up, faith. Rise up, authority of God. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ha <laughs> ha. 
Woo! Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Now some of you is watching the fig tree to see if it's withered. But the Lord spoke to the roots. And the roots are dead. Because he's free. He may not even feel free right now. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The word has been spoken. The root of the thing is dead. And the symptoms are leaving. Jesus' name. Anybody here got some rhema? Anybody here got some rhema? I've been praying that God would resurrect your rhema in you. It's time you start speaking some stuff that you've let lay still, unused. Come on. Go if you need to go, it's fine. But I'm telling you right now, God is resurrecting some rhema that he gave to you. And he expects you to use that rhema right now. It doesn't matter if you've seen it, if it looks possible or not. It's time to speak the rhema. And keep on speaking the rhema. Because that's faith. And that's using authority. You don't ask for rhema to come to pass. You speak rhema in faith as an, a, a command of authority. Come on. Come on. I'm done. Are you done? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I command every one of these rhema to be resurrected right now. Hallelujah. 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 In the name of Jesus. Yeah, keep on standing there inspecting the fig leaves. You're never going to receive anything from God. He starts from the roots out. He starts from the roots out. Come on. The roots can't be seen. They're buried. That's why it's faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Because faith knows that what it's speaking is true. Because you're dealing with root. In the name of Jesus. 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 I believe in speaking in tongues. I speak in tongues. I speak in tongues more than I pray in English. But let me tell you something. You can't speak rhema in tongues. You gotta speak Rhema in your language. Whatever your language is, you've gotta speak Rhema with your language. Come on. Come on. Just for a moment here. If you need to go, the doors open. You're welcome to go. God bless you. But if you've got a resurrected Rhema, it's time you start speaking it. And you don't speak it testing it. Let's see. Let's see what this tests like. Let's see what this tastes like. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna try this. That's not faith. You speak it. You keep on speaking it because you're believing and you keep on believing. Knowing it's going to come to pass.
I've got Rama that was given to me 30, 46 years ago that hadn't come to pass yet. I've got Rama that was given to me 35 years ago that hadn't come to pass yet. Ask me if I believe. I believe with everything in me. There's not any doubt in my mind that's coming to pass. God gave Abraham a rhema. It took 25 years for it. It was God's time for it. If you've got to see to believe, you're never going to have New Testament authority. You've got to be able to speak a word. In fact, that, that centurion said, speak the word only and my servant will be healed. He didn't go run, stand by his servant's side and, and say, okay, let's see if this worked. It is your privilege as a, as a part, a member of the body of Christ with our head already on the throne in heaven. It is your privilege to be a conduit for that God, for that authority, for that word to be spoken through you every day. I pray. I speak stuff every day. But oh God, look what would happen if just, just everybody in this room Started praying like this. What do you think is going to happen the last week of October? When people around the world where somebody is praying and speaking around the world 24 hours a day for that entire week. Do you think something's going to happen? I don't. I don't think something's going to happen. I know something's going to happen. Let's give God thanks. Come on, let's give God thanks. Hallelujah. 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 Should we stop praying intercessory warfare? No. Should we stop praying in tongues at all? No. Pray whatever the Spirit gives you in prayer. But it weaves in and out spirit and, and you're speaking words of authority and spirit and you're speaking words of authority. And let me tell you what, you do that, you're going to find yourself praying all day long. Even if it's under your breath, you're going to be praying all day long. You're going to keep speaking stuff all day long. Father, I commit this word into your hands. Commit this word into the hearts of this people. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I command that a, that a hedge be put around these hearts. That this seed might germinate and not be stolen by the fowls of the air. Be glorified, Father. Be glorified in the church. Be glorified through the church. Be glorified through your word. Be glorified through your name and your kingdom being manifested. Be glorified because your will is done in the earth. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus, it is so, and let it be so.